And you can gain the experience and the tools by doing, by just, you know, 15 years of it. So if you've been running for 15 years without seeking sports psychology, I guarantee you probably learned some mental toughness along the way. Or you could just listen to, you know, passionate runner and listen to you (laughs) and get educated so that you can get out on that training path and out on your run and start to utilize the tools immediately. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 48 of RunnerClick's The Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of TheMotherRunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And right now, we are doing something a little different. In As we celebrate our two-year anniversary of the podcast, we are re-airing some of our most popular episodes. If you are new to the show, then I think you will really appreciate the experiences and expertise that we are about to share. And if you've already heard this episode, if you're like me, chances are you probably forgot a lot about it. And so you are going to be newly inspired and informed. So I can't wait for you to hear my conversation. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. RunnerClick presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. Hey, Haley, it is so great to see you. Hi, Whitney. I'm so happy that you're having me on today. Me too. We This could probably be like a whole seminar because there's like a thousand things I want to talk to you about today. I am so willing and excited to share everything that I can. <laughs> So ask away. Nothing's off limits when it comes to health and exercise. I love that. So you have a quick like background for the listeners. You've helped me with several articles for my site. And I finally was like, okay, I just need to have her on the podcast and just pick her brain and glean as much information as I can from her in an hour. But I first want to know more about you. And I saw on a video on your website that you do run. So you are a runner. Run. I don't know if I would compare myself to all of your viewers because I have other passions and other, but running is definitely something that I do. I So I do run. I don't know that I would consider myself to be a runner because I have all these other activities, but yes, I have experience with running. The good, the bad, the ugly, the great. <laughs> what are the other activities that you do? I'm a big cyclist, so road and mountain biking, big hiker, so very similar, and then obviously running as well. I have done a triathlon in my past, so swimming, those activities, and then I do love yoga, skiing, (laughs) resistance training, you name it. Oh, so you love all of it. So what was your sport growing up? Ski racing, yeah. So I actually did water skiing as well, and I loved to paddleboard and all things water, but I was a ski racer growing up, and I grew up in Canada. And I currently live in Colorado, but I did grow up in Canada. And so interesting, when I think about my first experience with running, it wasn't necessarily 
a fun one because running was the dry land training. Mm-hmm. If we got in trouble, running was the punishment. <laughs> so running didn't necessarily, or I wasn't necessarily introduced to running as something that was enjoyable and fun. It was mostly around a track or following a truck or, you know, dry land training for my sport of ski racing. Yeah. Brit running has a bad reputation, I think, because it was for as kids, like you, it was used as punishment so often. And like, you know, coaches would just like, Hey, go run for an hour. And it's like, you would never do that. Now you would know that's well, you could get hurt doing that. And it's definitely not going to be enjoyable. But then in my early 20s, we were at like just 20, I had a friend who asked me if I wanted to participate in a sprint try with her. And so that's when I really started running and I would get cramps. Like at minute 22, I'd always get cramps. So that's when I feel like I started learning more about the sport of running and really understanding. I always was interested in sports psychology. I was already pursuing that career, but then bringing my mental toughness as well as some breathing techniques as well as running techniques. So that's when I really started educating myself on the sport. Oh, so you may have running to thank for your career? <laughs> I can, it added. It, I was my best athlete. When I wanted to you know, become a better runner, I was my best client. Let's put it that way. So I got to use oh, my skills on me. <laughs> that is awesome. So you said that was in your 20s that you realized you wanted to venture into sports psychology? No, sports psychology I decided when I was 12. I was just talking about my first experience really educating on myself on running and bringing sports psychology into that. But no, I decided to be a sports psychology gal when I was 12 years old. I had a coach. I was a ski racer, as I said, and I had a coach who had bet on me to win a world championship for my age group. And not only did he bet on me, he informed me of this about 45 seconds before I was about to go and compete. So in those moments, and this is actually a great segue, in those, in that moment, I was in an emotional and a mental fork in the road, which is something we are all in, I would think, in every training or race, or, you know, inevitably once a day in our lives at minimum. Mm-hmm. On one hand you know, that anger and that fear and that frustration and that worry and that anxiety kicks in. How could a coach bet on me and then tell me right before I'm about to compete? What if he's wrong? What if I make a mistake? And all those negative thoughts and anxiety producing feelings kick in. On the other hand, same situation, my coach bet on me and I could think, wow, if he's betting on me, it must mean that he believes in me. And then the feelings, the emotions that follow with that are passion and excitement and confidence. And all those chemicals are then released to help me. So I did, I can't tell you that at 12 years old, I stood there and I went through that process in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Haley. 45 seconds, you know. (laughs) Okay, Haley, what are you going to do? But I do remember thinking, hey, if my coach has high expectations for me, doesn't that mean I'm doing something right? So I went down that race. I did win, which was great. My coach came down, congratulated me, kept the money for himself. But then he did say something that then started my career. He said, "If it's amazing what your performance can be like when you get your head straight. And then he brought a sports psychologist to speak to my team two weeks later. And at 12 years old, I went home and I shared with my parents that I wanted to do this as a career. Wow. Yeah. That is remarkable. 
must have been a good sports psychologist that came and spoke to you guys. You know, it's so interesting. I don't remember what she said. <laughs> I can't. However, I will tell you that fast forward probably 20 years later. So in my 30s, she was speaking. Now I'm from Canada. This happened in Canada. And she was speaking in Colorado in my town. So I went to go see her and she was kind of going through the line, having everyone introduce themselves, what their sport is, what their mental block was. And even though I'm a public speaker and a teacher who stands in front of the class, when I'm a student, I tend to sit in the back. So I was in the back and I was the last one to go. And I raised my hand and I said, you know, thanks to you, I'm now a sports psych gal as well. I don't remember what you said, but you must have said something because, you know, and so then she and I connected afterwards, which was really quite beautiful. Oh my goodness. That is so cool. You guys still stay in touch? We haven't in the last little bit, but there was a good amount of time there where we definitely stayed connected and collaborated a little bit. I met with a sports psychologist when I was in high school to help me with my running and I don't remember it being very enlightening. It was, you know, it was just... I feel like at that time, the field was just so young and it was just what I remember. It was just like a lot of just mental, you know, just going through the race, going through the process, just envisioning what's going to happen, envisioning myself succeeding. And I think that was kind of the end all be all of it. It's come a long way since then. It has. When I was going through my PhD program, there were three of us in the program. And, you know, now it's, and there were only a handful of programs to even attend. And now it's much more receptive, much more popular. And people, you don't have to have a PhD to do sports psychology. Other people who have had experiences in other areas of education, you know, they're focusing on the mental side as well. So, and I love that because. Usually when athletes call me, even to this day, when athletes call me, it's usually because they've tried everything else already. I've tried my nutrition. I've tried, you know, my skill set, my conditioning, all of these things. Nothing is helping me better perform or overcome this one thing that I have. And then they call me. And so the more we talk about it, perhaps it'll start becoming one of the first things we engage in. Yeah, I think we just, especially runners, like we believe that we can just mind over matter anything, but you can't really do that if you don't know what your mental blocks are, what is what the problem areas in your line of thinking. And until you talk to somebody who is trained and knowing what to call out, you're just, it's never going to be illuminated for you. Okay, listen, you can gain the experience and the tools by doing by just, you know, 15 years of it. So if you've been running for 15 years without seeking sports psychology, I guarantee you've probably learned some mental toughness along the way. Right. Yes. Or you could just listen to, you know, passionate runner and listen to you <laughs> and get educated so that you can get out on that training path and out, you know, out on your run and start to utilize the tools immediately. Yes. There you go. I talked to someone who he wasn't a sports psychologist, but he's trained in mental training just like in the week leading up to I ran the California International Marathon last month. And even though I feel like I'm pretty introspective and self-aware, I mean, he just talking through very basic things highlighted some potentially problematic areas in my thinking, including one was just because I didn't, I don't pass out after a race, it doesn't mean that I didn't do my best. And I, like it never occurred to me that was really like pretty messed up thinking, <laughs> you know? 
That is, athletes will tell me, I had a really good training day today. I threw up. Like that's the sign of a good training day. And, oh, you know, there's reasons why we have a 70% day. There are reasons in our training, like built into our training. And I don't think it's passing out, getting sick, you know, injury is the sign. So we really want to step back and, you know, that's a great segue to go into. What does it mean to, how do we know that we've done our best? Yes. You know, what's the measurement there? How do we know that we've done our best? And uh, that's something definitely to consider, which is the key, in my opinion, to moving on from a bad race. Okay. So let's start with, because I definitely struggle with that because when I'm in the race, or a workout, you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm pumping my arms so hard. My legs just won't move. And then in retrospect, you're like, oh, could I push a little bit harder? And you doubt yourself. So do you have suggestions as for how you can measure if you fully did give your best effort? Yes, I believe. So this is how I do it. Really tangible. Cause I like to, even though yes. it's psychology, I like to think less but more (laughs) strategically. (laughs) This is why I love you. This is great. Yeah. So what I would ask everyone who's listening right now, think about your running and you. So we're all different. Yes, we're all right, left, right, left, right, left, but you come with a whole lot of uniqueness to you. Think about yourself at your very best. So go back to, and often it's when you had the best performance, all right? That's just Mm -hmm. an easy one to go back to your best race. And I like to go back to the best race because training, we don't have a whole lot of the anxiety that goes with it. In racing, we do. So go back to your best performance. And it doesn't necessarily mean the scoreboard, right? It doesn't necessarily mean your time. It just, you have to decide what your best performance is. And then I want you to identify three things that you would characterize yourself as. It might be something that you did technical or tactical. It might be, you know, something and a concentration factor, like you were focusing on your heart rate and not looking around beside you, whatever it might be, but come up with three best words. And that will then guide you through whether I did my best. Because when you're running and we get caught up in the anxiety, someone passes us that we didn't want to pass us, right? Mm -hmm. Or we start to feel the discomfort and pain a whole lot earlier than we normally do. We didn't sleep well or, you know, the night before, and we're already worried that the prep wasn't optimal. So that's going to, we're like self-fulfilling prophecy. That's going to get the best of us. When we are in those moments on, you know, in the race, if we can go back to those three best words and pull them out. So I, maybe it's your cadence, maybe it's your stride, maybe it's, you know, just loosening your arm. I'm really good at just letting my arms, you know, relax, whatever it might be. I know what I need to focus on when I'm my best, bring those back. That often allows you to go a little bit more. Because now we're leading with confidence instead of focusing on all the things that are going wrong, that are all the things that are not working well. If you can bring back your three best words, at least one of them, often that allows you to push through a little bit more. And then after that, you know, if you find yourself not having your best performance, to me, that's still a sign though that you put your forth your best effort. And then it's time to give yourself some grace. There's a big difference between giving yourself some grace and letting yourself off the hook. Okay. Let's dive into that. Yeah. And so you know, if I'm working with an athlete, I'll never forget this. It wasn't running, it was rowing. 
And she was inside on the rowing machine. And she and I had just talked about this. And she told me that she was experiencing a lot of discomfort, a lot of negative thinking, a lot of discomfort. Her breathing was, you know, increasing as well. She could feel it. And she let up a minute before. So she had one more minute to go in her program, but she stopped a minute before. And then we talked about this. Did you pull back your three words? Did you, you know, even though you were, you know, you felt like you were done, did you pull back your three words? And she said, no, I just let, I just stopped. To me, that is letting yourself off the hook. On the flip side, though, when you're in those moments of this absolutely sucks, like, why am I doing this? Yes. (laughs) If you can just test yourself a little bit with the things that you already know you do well, pull out one of those three best characteristics, tactics, techniques, some disciplines about yourself, and you give that a go, still doesn't work. In my mind, that's when you got to give yourself a little bit of grace because that's when you know you did your best. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? It does make sense. And it reminds me of a past podcast interview I did with Neely Gracie, who she just ran a 225. She's a mother runner. Like she's a mother runner that I've featured. And she just ran a 225 at CAM. And the way that she characterizes her running is just, did she give what her body could that day? And she has those boundaries on that day. It's not like I'm going to go run a 225 no matter what. And that is my only marker for success. And I just, it's, to me, it's a beautiful way of looking at it, but also very difficult because we runners often see, myself included, we see things in black and white. And so we, you know, either we run this time or we don't. And if we don't run this time, then it wasn't a good day, even if we gave ourselves, gave all that we could of ourselves. And it's very hard to change that way of thinking, I find. Well, because our, yes, but then, but if you're going to be a runner, there's also a lot of things to accept about running. Your body goes through a tremendous amount of ups and downs, lefts and rights. Like there are so many components physically to consider. And, you know, you just have to look at the professional athletes out there. And sometimes it just doesn't, you know, even though you put forth effort, sometimes your body just isn't ready that particular day. It's just the sport of running. That's a whole lot of things to accept about it. My expertise of mental toughness, I do know though that our minds give up before our bodies do if we haven't trained for our minds to stay, right? So if we haven't done the mental toughness training, our minds can give up before our bodies do. So that's why, and when we're not feeling great up here, in our minds, often our bodies respond to that. So that last little push in those moments that you're not, things aren't going well. That's why I recommend and ask, get your brain focused on your strengths, get your brain to give you some confidence. And then let's just see if your body can respond and do a little bit what you're asking it to do. But if the answer is no, then I completely agree with Nikki, you said, Neil, Neely, Neely, sorry, I put the two together and we're good. Yeah, but I completely agree with what Neely says. Then you have to accept the fact that your body did what it was ready to do that day and you allowed it to go to its max. It wasn't your best, but it was your max that day. I love because the problem is, you know, once that negative thought process begins, it's just a runaway train. And so I love 
calling on those three positives from your best day to kind of reel it back in and get you back on track the best you can. And like you said, I mean, sometimes you just have a bad day and you're not letting yourself off the hook, giving yourself grace. You did the best you could. I, so when you are having a bad day and everything's kind of failing and you have a bad race, what do you recommend to your athletes to do to kind of, to learn from it, to move on and not let it just completely kill your confidence? I actually had this exact conversation this week with an athlete earlier and he's young. He's, he's a teenager. And he asked me straight up, how do you forget the words he used? How do you forget about a bad day? You don't forget about it. So that's not the right question. The right question is how do you move on? How do you move on from a bad day? And I, it kind of goes along with what we're saying, the acceptance piece. So the, first of all, if you're upset, if you're disappointed, frustrated, worried, upset, cool, great. If you're mm-hmm. not upset, then I'm questioning, why are you doing all this work? Why mm-hmm. are you making all these sacrifices? Why are you, you know, because then the upset tells me two things. It tells me one that you really care. And it actually, in my opinion, is a sign of confidence. Because if you're mm-hmm. upset, it means you thought you could do better. And if you think you could do better, that's a sign of confidence. So I'm actually okay with the frustration. It's whether or not we're going to let the frustration blow us up or let the frustration fuel us for tomorrow. So that's really, so I don't want, when people come to me and be like, how do I forget? How do I not be upset? That's, I want you to be upset. Take a moment and be upset because it's, again, it means that you care and it means that you actually believed you could do better, which is a sign of confidence. Oh, well, I was going to say, so that, like, I promised before I press record that I'm not going to turn this into a personal therapy <laughs> session. So I, quick nuts and bolts about me. I've been injured for two and a half years. haven't really been able to run. Started running over the summer and ran the CIM marathon, which was in December. And I had my time that I wanted. And my coach thought that time was possible. It was a sub 250, which would have been a nice PR for me. And it didn't happen that day. Like at mile 17, my legs were just like, nope. And I was ready. I had embraced the pain written on my arm. Like I was like, I am just bring it on mentally. I am ready to do this. And my body was just like, no, my legs just wouldn't. The video of me hobbling across the finish is painful to watch. (laughs) Like it just, it was not happening. And I was so upset. And I'm past that. And now I realize like I've learned a lot of lessons, but I'm also like for a very long time after I was thinking, I'm like, well, maybe I'm overshooting my potential. Maybe I just don't, you know, hope to be much faster one day, but maybe that just isn't in the cards for me. Like everything was lining up that this was going to be a great day and it wasn't. And to be honest, like my confidence still is very wounded. So I'm just wondering like how... Yes, you believed in yourself and then you proved yourself wrong. How do you get back to believing in yourself again? Yeah. So first of all, you got to give yourself a moment to vent. You got to give yourself a moment to be upset. If we try to just, you know, brush that off, listen, you're a mom. We got stuff to do outside after this race. We don't want people to see us upset. They can't, they shouldn't see this. What kind of skills, what kind of lessons am I teaching, you know, my Mm -hmm. kids, for example, It's actually, in my humble opinion, it's okay to give yourself a space and it's even okay for people to see you sad and upset. So let yourself feel those emotions so that they can then move through you. 
instead of trying to fight it, that actually creates, in my opinion, longer, sustainable, negative feelings. So allow yourself to feel it. Allow yourself to feel, yeah, feel it so that they can go. The second then is you kind of got to, you have to get real with yourself. So those questions that you were saying, can I really do this? What's the answer? If I were to ask you right now, is that, you know, is that goal that you had set for yourself and with your coach, nice PR, is that something that you don't go with? Your feelings have already come and gone, right? So now we're more logical, looking at your performance, looking at the sheets, looking at the numbers. Is it something that you can achieve? With work, not easy, of course not, but is it something that you can achieve when you look at the numbers? When you look at the numbers, yes. That's the most important part. So again, so no, but think about it. So we have these irrational thoughts based on our feelings. So if we focus on the disappointment that we didn't little really let ourselves process, we're going to then, you know, answer, can I do it based on our emotions? And emotion trumps logic most of the time if we're not careful. So you have to really look at the truth. You have to look at the numbers. You have to look at your, you know, your schedules. You have to look at what you're willing to do. And you just said, yeah. That's interesting because you would think that would be the default for runners because we are so like just mired in the numbers. But then when it comes to this situation, we're like, well, maybe the numbers are lying to us. Maybe I don't have it. Yes. Those are your emotions. Yeah. The emotions just can come. And ego too, because sometimes running, you know, we often worry so much about like what other people think of us that we let our ego sometimes blind us as to what we think we can and cannot achieve. And I, going into my next training cycle, I am very humbled from my experience and taking the pressure off. I'm going to take my training serious, going to continue to do that, but I'm going to take myself much less serious and just kind of take the ego out of it. And hey, if I don't run as fast as I wanted to, oh, well. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, it's easy to say now when I'm early in the training cycle. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of want to get I, what I want to get to, and I would love to know your viewpoint on this, is kind of like this notion of quiet confidence where you know yourself, you trust yourself. When things don't go your way, you just you know what to glean from that and move forward, and it doesn't hit you so hard and make you so like just conflicted and full of self-doubt. When I think about professional athletes, I don't know a single professional athlete that doesn't hit their goal. I mean, we just watched the World Cup. Let's, if you know, just if we're just looking at that soccer, you know, I mean, how many athletes did you see sitting on the field crying? How many athletes did you see get angry? Like, it's okay. You know, we don't want ego to run our lives, but we do have this thing called the ego, and it is okay. And so, you know, we have to allow ourselves to feel. But going back to what you were just talking about, the quiet confidence, get out when you're doubting or you're unsure in those moments, get back out there. Let your body rest, of course, right? (laughs) After those. But when it's Mm -hmm. time to get back out there, get back out there and give yourself some successes to get yourself right back on the path of success. And that still includes your ego. You could share it with others if you want, or you can keep it to yourself. You know, that really depends on the person. I tend to keep things in. Like I definitely look at my scores for, you know, when I'm out there, 
running, cycling, whatever it is that I'm doing, but I don't really talk about it with anyone. I'm more of that, you know, maybe my partner, you know, at the very end, he and I will share, but I don't really talk about it with other people. But if that is something that motivates you and it gives you energy, go ahead and do that. But go ahead and give yourself little successes. Now, I don't mean make it easy. So I know that I've heard you in your introduction for Passionate Runner, you talked about flow and runner's high, right? And how, you know, at the very beginning, it's not easy to attain. But let me give us a little tip on how we can get back into the runner's high and flow after coming off some one or more bad experiences. So when it comes to flow state, and I'm just going to get a little bit research and academic, but Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is the founder of flow state. Say that 10 times fast, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. (laughs) (laughs) But he really talks about three different zones that bring us close, if not into flow state. And if our level of ability is, I know maybe I'm, I don't know if we can see me right now, but if our level of ability is here and I just have my fingers up here. To get into flow state, we either want to challenge ourselves just below our current level of ability, just below where it's still effort. You're still going to feel that discomfort, right? So you're still embracing that, but you maintain a high level of perceived control. That's the high, that's the most important piece here. Control. You're in control of your mind. You're in control of your body. You're in control of your results but it's still a challenge, but it's just below your current level of ability. Or depending on the you as a person, this is why we have to kind of, you know, running is running, but then we all bring our unique contributions to it. Or you can challenge yourself just above where you feel some arousal. So he calls it the arousal zone. You feel some arousal, but you maintain confidence So you're still going to give yourself a success. You don't go, you don't start out on that path wondering if you're going to achieve it. No, I will achieve it with this effort. I still have the arousal, butterflies in your stomach, you know, the chemicals and neurotransmitters, sweaty palms, whatever it may be, but you've got confidence. That is the leading emotion. In between is when you experience flow state where your ability matches the challenge. So when you get out there after having a difficult, you know, difficult chapter, when you get back out on the running path, give yourself the opportunity for success by challenging yourself just below at or just above. So you're now either choosing to feel the control pieces leading you, the arousal, but confident pieces leading you, or your that flow is when the challenge meets your ability gain back this success because, and then I'll stop and then take a breath, but because those one or two or a few bad days don't need to lead you. We can just as easily focus on our successes. So if you give yourself a success right away, we can then accept those bad times and move forward with the success that we just created for ourselves, And it wasn't an easy thing, still had to put forth the effort, but we gave ourselves, we put ourselves back on the path of success. I think, yeah. And if you're working with a running coach, that's great because they can give you, like you're saying, you know, particularly in the form of workouts, like do threshold workout. I did, it was last weekend. So it was one month from my marathon. I did a rust buster half marathon and it went really well. I was surprised. I had not felt good. And my confidence for this next training cycle is so much better. So I highly recommend that to people 
who it just like wakes up your aerobic system, wakes up your neuromuscular system, and there's no pressure and you may surprise yourself and that can give you back the confidence. And like you were talking about, I was in that flow state where I knew I wasn't going to, you know, really kill myself because it's just the first race back. But, you know, I got things moving. I felt comfortable, but it was like moderately hard and it felt great. And that, and it was a great confidence booster. So I think that's and nice to know that there's research to support that. And then you can also just always bring back those three words and go out there and bring back your three best words. It's funny when you said that for me personally, what was coming to mind were more like, just perspective words like gratitude and yeah, like running in control and just being like happy, overall happy to be there. And I think that might be because when I lined up for my marathon, it was my first marathon in a very long time. I was extremely anxious because it had been so long and I was like, I've been waiting for this for so long and it has to go well. And so that I just stripped all the joy of it and just was so focused on like, my performance instead of cheering other people on and saying thank you to the crowd. And, you know, so you learn a lot in retrospect. There's something I can tack on with regards to just pressure when you talk about perspective, yeah. if you have the time. You know, pressure is earned. When we put pressure on ourselves, think about it. <laughs> we don't put pressure on things on ourselves. We don't put pressure on ourselves for things we don't think we're good at. We don't put pressure on ourselves for things we don't care about. When we do the work, when we put in the time and the effort and develop our skills and we see the progress, we put pressure on ourselves. It's earned. So we want see, to embrace it. People need to talk to a professional <laughs> because like, I would never view. I see it as negative. I'm like, oh, Whitney, you know, what's wrong with you that you're putting so much pressure on yourself for like a recreational sport? But you're right. I mean, it's because I care and it's because, you know, we've ascended to a certain level that we feel like we can do that because – you know, when you're trying, when like I'm doing gymnastics with my daughter or trying to get up on their hoverboard, I'm not like, I'm going to be awesome at this. Watch me bet you $10. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is going to be awful. I'm probably going to tear a hamstring trying to do this round off. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Kudos for you for, for going out there and trying a round off. <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, it's, and that may bring the joy of competition. You know, like I've earned this pressure. I love that. So how do you walk the fine line between caring but not just letting your anxiety rule you? So <laughs> going back to Mihai Chekshmai's work, going back to flow state, you know, we talked about that control and then the flow and then arousal. The next step is anxiety. And mm -hmm. so anxiety, even though can work for us, it's our fight or flight responses. So when we're running, sometimes that anxiety is actually – we don't want to do severe damage to our bodies, right? So there is times when you do need to stop. Like when that pain is no longer functional pain, that pain is dysfunctional pain. So I believe that anxiety is actually good if we can use it. It's really, what I do is I help people use their emotions as kind of like a taking inventory of mind, body, and performance, right? So when we're feeling something, we have to go through the list to decide whether, you know, whether it's just our emotions leading us or whether our emotions are actually and our physiological discomfort and pain are actually telling us something, giving us clues. So you have to learn that. And that's not going out there and really understanding, 
your body and learning about your body. And I do believe that the, when you are first starting out as a runner, you don't really know so much about your body, but then, you know, you could probably tell me that you have learned so much. And so when you feel this, that tells you this, when you feel that, you know, some of that. From a mental perspective, though, I like to, when athletes are feeling anxiety, which is basically worry, fear, frustration, or anger. That's really the emotions of anxiety, worry, fear, frustration, or anger. When they fear, when they are experiencing that, ask themselves why. We don't really often just like, wait a second, why am I feeling this? And then see if there's truth to it, or if you're just being an emotional creature right now. But if there's truth to it, you may want to, you know, sometimes you got to take care of yourself. You have to protect yourself and make changes that you don't want to necessarily make, but you need to for your own safety. That's the fight or flight part of it, right? However, sometimes when you're like, I'm feeling this thing, there's not a whole lot of truth to it. I'm just, it's just my thinking. That's when you have to go with me back to the flow state. You have to move from anxiety down, well, I shouldn't say down, but over to arousal, where your anxiety is now moved to just some nervousness. But again, you bring back your confidence. And one of the best ways to do that, I go back to those three best words. Or I'm sure you have a lot of experience with breathing while you're running. Take it back to your breath, do some mindfulness, do some centering, and then you can better, you know, that allows you to then. Think more when you calm your body down with breath, it allows you actually to think more clearly. And then you can again think, okay, what's going on here? And, you know, what are, go back to your intentions, go back to your goals and how you're going to achieve those goals with your look at your heart rate, look at your cadence, look at your breath, look at your time, like go back to the specifics of the running, get back to the numbers. And do you recommend that with, I have a very complicated relationship with my GPS watch, as I think a lot of people do, especially when running, because it's like that instant feedback. And if you are falling off pace, so if you notice that you're falling off your projected goal pace, you recommend tuning into your breath or maybe taking in like your surroundings or doing something like that to help center you and kind of stop that negative thought cycle. Yeah, you know, definitely tuning into your breath or bringing back your three best words. Just, you know, because when you look at that watch and you see that you're not doing your best, think about all the negative thoughts that come flowing in after that. We don't want that to go because that will spiral out of control. Oh, yeah. Then you're like, all of a sudden, oh, this hurts. No, this hurts. No, she's looking really good. Oh, I'm the one that's at a disadvantage here. So then, so we bring it back to you have to be your best coach at that time. And, you know, if you had a coach in your ear, they'd be saying, okay, I see that you're slowing down. I see that you're not meeting your goals. Well, let's look at this. Let's, you know, so take it back to your breath, take it back to your three best words. See if you can get your mind right so that your body can follow through. And then, you know, obviously, again, like we talked about, if it's just not there, if today's just not that day, but you've done the best you can, then, you know, we accept, we have to learn to accept that. When you said tuning out and kind of taking in your surroundings, that's an interesting conversation for runners. There's two types, if I'm just going to get really black and white, because I know, (laughs) you know, for runners. We tend to be that way. (laughs) There's association and dissociation when it comes to our focusing. So dissociation is when you tune out, you know, so you look around, you take in the beautiful scenery, you take in, you know, 
the air that it's almost like a, it's kind of a meditation yet while you're running, it's like, take a moment and just focus on what you see, take a moment and just focus on what you hear, take a moment and focus on what you smell, take a moment and focus on the ground underneath you, how you feel it. Right. So that would be tuning out of the work. That is an option for some people, and often that can move you away from the anxiety because you're getting out of your drama, if I can say that, Mm -hmm. and just again, but be selective about it. Don't just look around. Like, Be selective. I'm going to focus on what I see. I'm going to focus on what I hear. I'm going to focus on what I taste. If there's, you know, taste, if you're by the ocean, you can taste the salts in your Mm -hmm. mouth, but then association is tuning in, and tuning in is when you tune into your breath work. You tune into your cadence. You tune into your three best words. Both of those have to be intentional, whichever one you choose, association Mm -hmm. or dissociation. Both of them have to be intentional. And that intentionality will distract you away from the anxiety and bring you in in to the good things. And so I'm guessing you have to practice to find out which strategy is best for you. Absolutely. But the good thing about running is that I even, I know that you're not in a race, but I feel like running because we're so focused on the numbers and we're, you know, there's always this like, you know, there is, we can simulate competition in training easily Mm -hmm. in running. Oh, absolutely. Especially during a workout. I mean, a lot of people, you know, if they're training for a particular time, they have multiple opportunities a week. Yeah. So in those workouts, practice these techniques and see which ones work best for you. But then also just know that the two exist. So in the heat of the moment, even though you've always done association, if you find that tuning into your heart rate or tuning into your best words isn't really working, at least you know that dissociation is out there and then focus, choose. What am I looking at? What am I seeing? What am I tasting? And embrace those stories. Okay. So you're talking about stories. Let's talk about, I'd love to talk about mental blocks because I heard you define these as like the negative stories that we tend to tell ourselves. And I would venture to guess that most people have them, whether they realize it or not. How do you uncover a mental block? I'm sure it takes a while to get there. And what are some like common examples, if there are any that you can say? Sure. So yes, a mental block, typically negative in nature, not always, but then typically negative in nature, but really a mental block is a story that we tell ourselves that has the potential, just the potential to debilitate our performance. So how do we catch ourselves? Now that I've shared with you, now that we're talking about it, just the awareness piece will come up. But that word, but, is sometimes the clue. Uh I want to do this, but... I wanted to pursue this, but I hear what you're telling me, but, and those buts are all reasons and excuses while you're not getting there. Those reasons are your mental blocks. Those excuses are your mental blocks and they usually follow the word, but (laughs) so, you know, even with nutrition, you know, I wanted to eat this way tonight for my workout tomorrow, but my family really wanted this for dinner, (laughs) something Mm -hmm. that's just a clue. I think when you take a moment and you really ask yourself, what do you want? And when then what's getting in your way, you just take a moment to sit down and reflect, our mental blocks will come. And if they don't come, people that love us, people that are around us a lot, so your family members, a coach, if you really ask them and you give them the freedom to tell you the truth, they can also usually tell you what a mental block is. So those examples that you gave kind of make me think that they're like external type factors, but what if like, or, I mean, 
a lot of times like a mental block, I guess I believe or I see view it as like you don't believe you don't actually believe in yourself, but there's a reason why. And it's like you have to peel back a lot of layers of the onion to get to the reason. Yeah. So you'd ask yourself, you know, what's getting just yesterday I was working with not a runner, but a wrestler. And we were uncovering his mental blocks. And he's like, I just, you know, I tell myself that I can't do it. I tell myself that I'm not good enough. And then I ask him, like, you know, we have to dive into the details. Well, I tell myself that I'm too small. And I tell myself that I am, you know, that I don't have the natural talent. I tell myself that all those things. So, you know, when you really give yourself a moment for reflection, the specifics come up. Mental blocks are really all the stories that create that fear, worry, frustration, and anger and sadness as well. Now, remember, those aren't always bad emotions, but when they are unhelpful, you know, it's the story that leads to that. So a mental block for me would have been my coach bet on me. Oh no. What if I make Mm -hmm. a mistake? That's a mental block. Mm -hmm. Fear of failure. Well, a mental block is also fear of success. If you, oh yeah, this is huge. If you achieve a good performance, now you've got to keep doing it. Okay, so if you uncover <laughs> this, like, so with this wrestler, he, and I'm guessing pro athletes deal with this as well, the where they, you know, doubt their abilities, then you have to somehow get to like the crux of where that's coming from and attack that. Yes. However, it's an interesting thing. Yes. But I don't like to, <laughs> being an athlete, as you and I know, we don't necessarily want to go that route. We just want it to be okay. fixed. <laughs> right. So yeah. I like to focus on the fixing. And usually in the fixing, we also discover where it came from. <laughs> but I'll focus on the fixing. So, and I have three strategies for helping us. No particular order. They do not go with each other. So they're separate solutions three separate solutions. There is not a right or wrong solution. As long as you use it, as long as it works for you, great. So one of the solutions is asking yourself, can I change the situation? So, you know, if you're finding that, you know, there's no time for you to Mm -hmm. train and work out the way you want to work out, that's a mental block. So you, some, and then, but sometimes we can, you know, look at the situation, look at the schedule, ask for help, ask for yeah, our partners right. to take on some of the responsibility while we're training and we can manipulate our external and manipulating our external automatically helps us conquer, overcome the internal mental block. Now there might be a mental block preventing us from asking people for help. So we may have to, you know, target yeah, that. <laughs> a lot of people struggle with that. <laughs> I know because there's guilt, right? There's guilt yes. there. But changing the situation is one way to do it. And it's really just looking at your environment and your schedule and, you know, time management and asking for help. If you can't change the situation, then another solution is reframing, is changing the way you look at the situation. So I was once working with an athlete who came to me and this particular athlete, it was a junior athlete, but high level, 19 years old, he could train really well, but he couldn't compete. That's a very common reason why an athlete comes to see a sports uh, sports psychologist. And that's obviously a huge mental block. But when we delve into that mental block, you know, why you can't compete as well as you train, the mental block was one of intimidation. He was intimidated by 
three specific opponents. So for those of you who are listening, perhaps you've had that mental block as well. When you get to competition, it's all about what they're going to do to be better than you. Have they prepped more? Have they done this? Have they done that? All about they. It's an intimidation mental Mm -hmm. block. So can we change his situation? Oh, I should say that also the interesting factor with him was that his three opponents were also his teammates. So they're there in training. And they're there in competition, but he's performing well in training and he's not performing in competition. In training, he's able to focus on himself. In competition, it's all about what they're going to do to beat him. So can we change the situation? Not really. At his level of development and where he's living, I mean, he can quit. He can ask his opponents to quit. (laughs) I don't think they're going to do that. He could, you know, pull a Tanya Harding or something like that. (laughs) Yes. So no, right? So we can't change (laughs) the situation. Hard no. (laughs) So then we had to look at how we can change the way he looks at the situation. And what we embraced, which is something that I think all of us can adapt and learn to use, is a concept called coopetition. Cooperative competition. And I actually have worked with the most recent was a triathlete, mother, worker, triathlete. She and I embraced this because she definitely so competitive, which is so great, but she let the negative aspects of competition get to her. So we embrace this thing called coopetition. Thank you opponents for showing up today. I want you to show up and do your best because if I know you're showing up to do your best, that's going to motivate me even more to do my very best and beat you. Nice. So you use them as a tool. You use them to fuel you. you. Yeah. So whereas this athlete, this 19 year old athlete was using it to intimidate him. We then adopted the story of thank you for showing up. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for showing up. And he rehearsed it and he visualized it and he journaled about it. And then three months later, he went off to Sweden to compete in the junior world championships. And not only did he beat his opponents, he became the junior world champion. Oh, amazing. What a good story. Yeah, great story. So, you know, my coach bet on me. I could think, oh, no, or I could think, oh, yeah. So when you're looking at your mental blocks, if changing the situation isn't working for you, ask yourself, is there an oh, yeah to this? Can I go from oh, no to oh, yeah? But remember, just because you come up with an oh, yeah, or someone helps you come up with an oh, yeah, that oh, no is still your dominant thought. Hmm. So the work has just begun. You've got to repeat with, you got to give that oh yeah story, some tender love and care. You've got to repeat it. Don't just wait until you say, oh no, to then say, oh yeah, wake up with the oh yeah story. Put it on your calendar to remind yourself five times a day. When you go to sleep, think about her oh yeah. So that when you do confront your own mental block, your oh no, your oh yeah story is ready to conquer it. So that repetition can serve to rewire the brain. It's the only way it works. When we, every time we have a thought, we plant a neural pathway in our brain. It's like a seed, but it's Mm -hmm. just a seed. It's just a thought until we start fertilizing it, until we start giving it tender love and care. So you have to repeat the thoughts that you like, the thoughts that help you repeat them. And with frequency and repetition, that seed, that neural pathway grows. It's a process called myelination. It grows and grows and grows and becomes your more dominant thought. Oh, that is fascinating and powerful. It reminds me of Dina Castor's book, Let Your Mind Run, where she, like anytime she was presented with a negative situation, negative thought, something was hurting, she learned over time, thanks to her coach, to like 
basically meet all of those negative thoughts with gratitude and instead see the flip side like, oh, thank you, the hamstrings, you're burning. That's a sign that you're working really hard and you're getting stronger. So I love that. But you're right. I mean, it's a skill that you just constantly have to keep working towards. So if we go along with that story, thank you, hamstrings, for you know for feeling the discomfort. It means you're getting stronger. Yes, do that while you're running and feeling the discomfort, mm-hmm. but while you're tying your shoelaces, remind mm-hmm. yourself that you're gonna that you know when I get out there, I'm gonna feel that pain, and this is what that pain means. When you're taking off your shoelaces, thank your hamstring or your running shoes. You know, do it throughout mm-hmm. the day so that again it becomes your more dominant thought. So those are two of the three solutions, Mm -hmm. change the situation. And then another solution is change the way you look at the situation. Although sometimes things just simply suck. (laughs) Let's (laughs) Let's be real. (laughs) Let's be real. And there's no way to change the situation. And there's really, I mean, this just sucks. I can't see the light. I can't see the, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I know you want me to be positive, Haley, but I just can't be positive right now. In those moments, we're not doomed. I have a solution that I like to call accept what is. So accept and act on your three best words. So in those moments, kind of bringing it back to what we initially talked about, accept that this sucks. Accept, you know, this doesn't feel good. I can't believe I let this happen. Even if you let yourself off the hook, like accept the fact that you did it, you know, or accept the fact that I did the best I could and my body just, we just, I did the best I could today. My body just wasn't optimal today or accept that, you know, whatever happened that completely was not within your control happened. You have to allow it to come in so that it can flow away. So you accept what is, and then you take action on what you have absolute control over and what you have absolute confidence in, which I like to go back to our three best words, because Mm -hmm. that takes us off the path of failure and mental just negativity and puts us back on the path of success and optimism. Those three best words are really key. To me, they are because again, I don't have to like, what does it mean that you did your best? I don't know. But if I can, you know, I did this and I did this because they are in my toolbox. They are things, they are my foundation. Mm -hmm. I can pull them up and I know that I did that. And it, it can be technical. I remember a motocross athlete that I was working with, his best, one of his best words was the connection he has with his handlebars. So if he, mm. the relationship he has with his handlebars, for example, doing a backflip, well, I need to pull up on my handlebars. So his best word was pull up, technical. You know, yeah, we can bring you, that into running. It serves as a great mental cue. And yeah, it does like make you feel like you have control over a situation suddenly when, cause I mean, most of these bad situations are when you just feel like you lose control and nothing's going your way and you can't fix it. And so even if it's just like standing tall when you're running or pumping your arms or like you said, looking at your cadence or making sure like your breathing is smooth or whatever, like those can all serve as nice mental cues to kind of get you back on track and feel like you, you know, you're not just along for the ride in this situation. Or a defensive player. It puts you back in the driver's seat. It puts you back on offensive performance. And all those three things, all those three things, changing the situation, changing the way you look at it, and accepting. And I don't mean accepting like throwing my arms up and just giving up. I mean accepting Mm -hmm. with steadfastness, accepting with courage, and then taking action on your best self. That automatically brings you back to some level of control, some level of confidence. 
And when you cross the finish line, you are – I would venture to say that most everybody would, no matter what the time, you'll be so proud of yourself that you were able to keep yourself from going to negative town. I mean, that's a huge – and you're rewiring, you're creating that neuro pathway so that the next time you'll do it that much better and maybe earlier on and get back on track sooner in the race. Yeah, I can give you one final just because I think I need to say this as you just said something that I need to touch on. Yes. In sports, coaches will tell you that the athlete that stands on top of the podium is not the perfect athlete. It's the athlete that best recovers. So in our visualization, of course, we want to visualize having the perfect race. Of course, we strive for perfection. I don't know anybody that I work with that doesn't strive to be perfect. But the reality of sport is you know, the reality of running again, like if you slow down for a moment, you know, the goal, in my opinion, is less about being perfect and more about being the best recoverer I can be using these tools that we talked about today. Yes. And that again, recalls the conversation that I had with Neely because she's amazing at compartmentalizing what she's like, oh, my shoe came untied. I tie it and I move on and I don't think about it again. Oh, I messed up. I missed my water stop. I take it at the next time and I don't dwell on it and, oh my gosh, there goes, you know, I just added a minute or, oh no, what's going to happen now that I missed my fluids? She just moves on. And I just think that's like an amazing skill for life. There's a time to learn the lessons. I mean, afterwards you can sit and say, okay, was there a lesson here to learn or is that just a one-off? You know, but absolutely in the moment, what's next? What's next? Or what's now? What's now? No opportunity wasted is what's now. I love that acronym. (laughs) Oh, yes. Oh, I love that. I actually, I don't think I've ever heard that. Well, this has been awesome. I'm going to have to have you back on because there's a lot to talk about and a lot more to unpack here. And I just, I don't know. I learned a lot and I really need to think about my three words. Do you have three words? So not necessarily. I have three words with my career in sports psychology for sure. So, Mm. which is basically my, that's my sport. Mm. My three best words are bright, it's like I have this big sunshine over my mind, body, and spirit. And what the sun gives the earth is what you know my brightness gives me. I'm curious. Actually, you know what? This is what I would probably use because I'm not really in competition in sport. I would still use this when I'm out there. I'm curious as opposed to judgmental. So, mm-hmm. you know, to bring back my best self, I start asking questions. To get out of my judgment, I get out, I start asking questions and then I listen. That's my third. So when I am, you know, in my sport of sports psychology, if I'm not if I'm getting upset that I said something to an athlete that I shouldn't have, or I didn't feel like I did this the best way, I bring back either bright, curious, or listen always to my next athlete, to my next project, to myself. That's Those are great ones. Those are really great. Okay. So where can people find out more about you? My website, you can opt in to get weekly mental toughness moments. So every week you get an email with a video that I do on a regular basis. And then also, you know, like this podcast would be included in that too. So you can see all the information that I've been sharing out there. So it's Dr. Just DR, my full name, HaleyPerlis.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so great. And again, I'm really glad that I got to like actually meet you in person instead of just communicating over email. So this has been awesome. You are a wealth of knowledge. Still look forward to helping you with your articles. And anytime you want me on here, you just let me know. Awesome. Thank you, Haley. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you all for listening to the Passionate Runner podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening to 
this episode as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. You can find the full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources that we talked about at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we would love it if you leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash leadpassionaterunner. We'll read these out on future episodes. Talk to you next time. Mm-hmm.